Please turn to Psalm 126. Psalm 126 for our sermon this morning. This is one of the songs of ascents, a song of ascent. Uh, it's understood that where the Levites in the temple would go to sing, there were stairs, actually you can read the scriptures and find out more about this, there were stairwells or stair, uh, stairways, as, you know, stairs in the temple where they could stand as a choir and sing. And so it's generally understood that this is where the, when they went up on the steps, these were the songs that they sang. Others understand it to mean in the going up to Jerusalem, because you know we in, when we think about maps, we think about heading north is up, south is down. But in the Bible, if you go up to Jerusalem, even if it's up, because you, you go up in elevation. And so the song of ascents, these were songs that were sung, as far as we know from history and the recording of uh, in, in Jewish literature and elsewhere. These were songs that were often sung by those who went up to Jerusalem three times in the year uh, for Passover and for the Day of Atonement and also for Pentecost. Um, and so as they went up to Jerusalem, as they ascended up to the city of God, they would sing these songs. This one actually is number seven in the series that's there. We read, beginning at the first verse, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping bearing seeds for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to open our hearts to it. We ask you to speak to us this day from the Holy Scriptures and bless us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So this song is generally understood. It's a psalm, which is a type of song. It's understood to express the return of the captivities, or the captives, rather, from captivity, when Judah came back from Babylon. And it definitely points to that. But others have said, well, you know, the idea of returning the captivity, that's used elsewhere. And it doesn't always mean coming out of Babylon. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn back one book to Saul, or rather Job chapter 42, in the uh, 42nd chapter, I think that's the last chapter of Job, actually. Yes, it is. Um, if you remember after Job had suffered greatly, and then the Lord, uh, you know, his three friends came and basically gave him a bad time, and then he... Uh, had his, his fortunes restored, as some say. And we read in um, uh, verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses. And if you have a marginal New King James, it'll tell you literally Job's captivity. The Lord restored his captivity. It's the same phrase that's used in this psalm. And some have pointed out that 
Job wasn't captive in Babylon, but yet it says the Lord restored his captivity and blessed him. And so the idea of praying to be restored from captivity, it doesn't necessarily mean you had to have been held captive in Babylon for 70 years, as the Jews were, uh, the tribe of Judah that was taken there. It means that you've gone through a period of extreme difficulty. And so this has great application beyond just the return of the exiles back to Judea at the end of the Babylonian captivity. In other words, it speaks to us today. We can learn from this. There's a lot here. So if you notice, it starts off celebrating this. So whether it was the return from Babylon or just simply being delivered from all the enemies, and if you know the history of Israel, there's plenty of times when they were delivered out of the hands of the Philistines. King David was delivered out of the hands of King Saul. Israel had been delivered out from underneath the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Time and again, God had delivered them. And it was a great deliverance. And so this is celebrating that. It's looking back at that time of joyful return when things have changed. You know, God's intention is to bless. If you remember in the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know, when it says, what is the chief end of man? Question number one, is its answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The idea of joy is present. In the Belgic Confession, it talks about after Adam fell. These were documents written in the 1500s uh, by the Reformers, people who had begun to read the Bible and it had begun to be, be read, and that's how the Reformation started. Uh, people read God's Word and it transformed their lives. So the Belgic Confession was written by Guido de Bray, and he said when he wrote that, and it was later adopted by the Synod of Dort to be the Confession of Faith of the uh, Reformed Protestant churches throughout Europe, many of them, uh, he said that God, in his plan of salvation, worked and had determined to bring man again so that man would be happy. <laughs> Something that's often lost in religion, you know. God's intention in our salvation is for us to have eternal joy. And not just once we get to glory. He wants you to have that joy of the Lord in your heart now. That doesn't mean you won't have struggles. This is a psalm here talking about being in captivity. If you read the book of Job as a picture of what that could be referencing to, Job lost everything that he owned. He lost his physical health. His friends were absolutely no help to him. They just came and said, well, you're having all this trouble because obviously you're a horrible person. <clears throat> and that wasn't the case. His afflictions had come as a test that God would be glorified even in his sufferings. But he had gone through horrible afflictions. If you read the descriptions of his, his physical condition, I won't get into all of it, but if you're unfamiliar with it, read the first couple of chapters of Job. Job was in a horrible physical condition with... Uh, just, you know, very sick for quite a while. But then the Lord healed him up, and then the Lord restored uh, his blessings to Job. And so Job had joy, undoubtedly. Job continued to worship. He actually, the Lord told his three friends, you better have Job go offer a sacrifice for you because the things you said weren't right. And he said, lest my anger be kindled against you guys. So they went and asked Job, would you mind offering a sacrifice for us because we, we really blew it as your friends when we uh, were telling you those things. We were incorrect. And so to have the, your, your, you know, so we use the term sometimes your fortunes return, which isn't necessarily a bad term, but we don't want it to sound like it's just something that happens apart from God. Here, though, the writer of this psalm 
knows it was the Lord. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, Zion is another name for Jerusalem, the hill there, one of the hills in Jerusalem that the city's built upon, so the city's often called Zion. It's a reference to God's people. We belong to the heavenly Zion, it says in the book of Hebrews. When the Lord brought it back, he says, we, we were like those who dream. It was it was so good, it was like, wait a minute, this can't be happening. They were given their freedom. They were allowed to return. And so they come back and, and he describes this. He says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Now this is written after the fact. So the writer of this psalm, <coughs> most likely King David, He's looking back and remembering what it was like, either prophetically, because the captivity was going to happen about 400 years after King David, either this is the Holy Spirit speaking prophetically through David, or it may have been written a little later than that. There are other authors of the Psalms besides David. If you look at the headings on them, you can see there's actually one written by Moses and, and several others. But he's looking back, whoever wrote it is looking back of having endured a rough time, either the Babylonian captivity or if it was David, just remembering going through things similar to Job, maybe not to the same intensity, but a heavy time of trial and of sadness, because he speaks later about those who sow in tears, and he remembers that, but he's remembering when, when the Lord reversed that, when the Lord turned again his hand and began to bless us. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, it's okay to be happy. Some Christians go around like, well, you don't want to just be happy all the time. I remember, I've shared this before, back during the Jesus movement, which uh, falls somewhat under the heading of spiritual immaturity among a whole lot of former hippies. Um, I remember some of the guys, one, one fellow in particular said, well, the word happy comes from the word happen, which has to do with circumstances. And we're not to allow our circumstances to determine whether you know we have joy or not so the idea of being happy is something probably sinful and we shouldn't be doing it <laughs> wonderful person to spend a lot of time with not okay by the way the person i'm talking about grew out of that okay but the idea was yeah we don't want to be happy we, we need to be joyful it's like well what's the difference well i don't know okay the word happy it might the etymology of it might have something to do with you know related to the root word happen Okay, God's in control of what happens, though, okay? So it's okay to be happy. Here he says, our mouth was filled with laughter. <clears throat> they were happy. It was a holy joy. Remember what Nehemiah told the people. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He actually told them, don't be sad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. <clears throat> sometimes we have to work hard to get there, though, don't we? Uh, sometimes the things in life can overwhelm us. The Bible actually says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It doesn't say, rebuke those who weep. It says, weep with them. So sometimes, you know, when our hearts are heavy and we're sad, being in fellowship with God's people, having a friend to talk to, is really important. Here we see, though, that those times of sorrow, God can turn them to times of laughter and joy. And this is what the psalmist is remembering. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing that came out in song and praise to God. And they, that word singing there, it carries with it the idea of loud singing. 
Uh, then they said among the nations, or the Gentiles, uh, in the old translation, I think it's the, the, among the heathen. We don't like to use that word much more anymore. But the words Gentiles, goyim. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Even those who were not part of God's covenant people, some that had been classified as the enemies of God at certain times, they acknowledged that there's something wonderful going on here, particularly in regard to the Babylonian return. That is when they were, when King Cyrus got on the throne, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and then Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back to Judea and rebuild their city and the temple. Some say one of the reasons why is in the book of Isaiah, uh, several hundred years before Cyrus was born, it's mentioned that there would be a ruler that would come that would allow God's people to return back to their land. And it actually said prophetically his name would be Cyrus. And according to history, uh, the Jews that were in Babylon, now part of the Persian Empire, once he took over the Babylonians and conquered them, that they showed him that passage. said, look, we knew you were coming. It says right, they showed him. And the history says that when he read the passage and understood it, then he said, well, then I guess I need to allow you guys to go back home. And he did. Uh, so King Cyrus, interesting fellow in history. There's Everything this guy did was a success. Everything. And Isaiah said, God would bless his every deed. Uh, wonderful person in history. Did he know the Lord? I hope so, but we're not sure. Some indication, even all of this, he never really fully knew the Lord. But they did acknowledge that what was going on was wonderful and it was God's work. It's nice when things happen to the extent that, that those around you see it and acknowledge the Lord has done great things for them. And then they echo that. They say, the Lord has done great things for us. And notice here, this is in the plural. It's talking about a community. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. That and is italicized. It's just simply, we are glad. God has done great things for us. We're happy about it. There's that old song, I mentioned it before, that I learned as a young Christian. Uh, Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get beat down. Those are times perhaps when it's good to stop and take inventory and say, okay, what exactly do I have to be thankful for? And then you start thinking about it. Well, I've got my my family. I've got my friends. I've got et cetera, et cetera. And you just go through. And it can be little blessings, things you enjoy in life, or big blessings. It's okay to count your blessings. That's what we ought to be doing. The Lord has done great things for us. Think about what He's done for you, Christian. He forgave your sins. And He did it by sending His Son to die on the cross for you. You know, we talk about being delivered from captivity. A lot of the older commentators say that the Christians, we ought to understand this of our salvation. You know, we, we think of, well, the, the Jewish people being brought back to Judea from Babylon. That's perhaps the historic fulfillment or the event. But the real thing that's being celebrated in this psalm is the forgiveness of sins, being brought out of the slavery that we had to sin and the condemnation, being under the control of Satan, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. As Paul told Timothy, uh, that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be gentle unto all. Uh, and he talks about hope with the hope that God will give them repentance, that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil being taken captive by him to do his will. And the idea of being saved means, you know, the Lord delivered me from the devil. Satan no longer controls my life. He doesn't like me, I know that, because I belong to Jesus, and he'll 
do what he can to harass me or tempt me or lead me astray. But if I just stayed close to the Word and trust in the Lord, all the devil is is a mad dog on a chain, and God has a hold of that chain. So, in this, we see God's at work. So our deliverance out of sin is really something to be celebrated. And if you notice here, the circumstances of this deliverance got a hold of the heart of the ones that sang this song. Uh, you know, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue was singing. They were rejoicing. And, and the, the nations around them, the Gentile nations who weren't necessarily worshipers of the Lord, they said, and know what they said. They didn't just say, oh, things are better for you. We're happy. He said, the Lord. And in the original, that's Yahweh. Yahweh has done great things for you. For them, they noticed that. They said, whoa, their God is really at work. And they said, yes, Yahweh did do great things, done, uh, has done great things for us. And we're happy about it. It's not just that we look at the events, we look at how it's affected us. I hope that your salvation affects you. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And sometimes when we're sad or we experience times of depression, and Jesus himself it was known as a man of sorrow, so we can always go to him. He understands what it's like to have a heavy heart. Sometimes, though, we need to fight against that. Sometimes we need to say, you know, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though my circumstances might be difficult right now, I belong to him. And he has promised me in his word in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. You probably know that, some of you. He said, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And then it goes on and talks about predestination and God's sovereignty and His plan to conform us to the image of His Son. God Himself has said that He's going to work everything for your good. All things work together for good to those who love God. So you want to make sure you love Him. And then how do you love God? By knowing His love. We love him because he first loved us. And you go, yeah, my love is so flaky. Maybe so, but his love for you isn't. He's loved you with an everlasting love perfectly. And he's not going to give you up. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So the point is, is sometimes we need to fight against sadness or depression. Depression is an enemy. If you got a knock on your door, let's say today when you're home, you're and somebody came in and said, hi, my name's Depression. I'd like to come in and destroy everything. I'd like to paint your whole house gray. I've got a you know paint sprayer here, so I'm going to spray everything gray, make your life pretty sad and miserable. You mind if I come in? What would you say? Boom! You slam that door and nail it shut if you had to. Okay? You say no thanks. You're not allowed in. Okay? If you find ah, I think he's already got in. About half the house is already painted. Well, you need to call on the Lord. Okay? Depression. My advice: throw the bum out. Okay? has no right upon you. You belong to Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're struggling with sorrow and sadness, it needs to be fought. And sometimes you need somebody to stand alongside of you. Remember, weep with those who weep. You know, uh, the Bible says if two walk together and one stumble, the other will lift the other up. But woe to him who is all by himself when he falls. Okay? The idea we should have that fellowship, that comfort of love, as Paul refers to it, those Inward motions of compassion that ought to move us. We ought to be there for each other. And if you're really going through periods of sadness, it's okay to have a brother or sister or you can call your pastor or one of the 
members in the church, you have somebody you trust and say, hey, you know what, I'm going through some real sadness. Can we talk? Can you pray for me? And if nothing else, if you don't have it, say, well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, go to Jesus. He hears your prayers. But recognize this, is that the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Obviously, the enemy does not want you to have that. So you need to recognize that that heavy-duty depression and sadness, that's from the enemy. That's not from God. And it's a lie. It's telling you that you don't have value before God, that He doesn't love you, that things don't work together for good, etc. It's all a bunch of lies, because the devil is the, the... Jesus said He's a liar and the father of lies. So... Sometimes we have to quit listening, and we need to quit doing the devil's work. We need to quit lying to ourselves and saying, yeah, there's no hope for me, etc. You go to Jesus. Say, Lord, help me. You know, we're not talking about putting on a fake smile and going, oh, hi, I'm really happy, when you know you're not. We're talking about going to Jesus and saying, Lord, I need you to lift my heart. I'm sad, and I have all these promises, and I need you to help me. Well... The prayer was, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, south of Hebron, which is south of Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem, okay, and south if you're in Israel. You got the, Down there is the Negev. It means the south. And it's a wilderness area. You keep going. You're back you're out in the Sinai wilderness. It's, it's a real dry desert place. <laughs> and so it says, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Sometimes in the south there'd be rain up north and those channels where the streams were that had been dry for so long. We've experienced this in Shasta County this last year, last several years actually. Um, all of a sudden water's running in them. You know, water brings life. If you look at most cities, they're built along rivers. Why? Because that's how you could live. You, you know, you have water to move uh, mills and to water crops and to drink. And that means close to the river you have good wells, etc., etc. But here he says, bring back our captivity, that is, our joy. Return us back as streams in the desert. It's nice to say, Lord, if, if it would please you to surprise us with some joy, we're okay with that. If it would please you to bless us, please do so. We need your blessing upon us, first and foremost, to know you, to love you, and to walk with you. But just to have your blessing upon us and to help us to see it. Help us to see your blessings. How sad it is when some people are so blessed and they don't recognize. You know, a spoiled child is someone that has everything and thinks they have nothing. They complain about everything. You know, Israel, I was just looking at the book of Numbers, uh, and I think it's about chapter 11 or so, when they've been out of Egypt for a while. It says, And Israel murmured in their hearts. And I noticed in my old Geneva Bible, I'd written a note years ago, and it just said, the complaining begins, okay? I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it. But after that, you just find Israel continually griping about everything and then having God's chastening hand come upon them. Um, we don't want to be like that, okay? The opposite of rejoicing, it can be murmuring, complaining about, well, this is what's going on. I'm not in control of it, so I don't like it, etc. We need to just say, Lord, you're in control. Return our captivity Oh, Lord, notice they're calling on Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Return our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the desert. And then we have this beautiful promise that's given. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Now, when we have little ones, sometimes, you know, we just baptized two little boys today. 
And that means there's going to be a lot of prayers offered for them. And I hope you, everyone here that witnessed their baptism, I hope you'll remember to pray for those two little boys in the years ahead. Um, and Alex, as you know, sometimes it's prayers with tears, you know, uh, crying out to God. I remember reading years ago about Jonathan Edwards when his son, he was older, but his son was in Europe and he was in Spain. And this is back in the 1700s. They didn't have internet or telephones or any way to communicate. He just knew his son had gone uh, to Europe and he was praying for him. And one time it was just really on his heart to pray for his son. And the story is told that after his son returned back to, uh, at that time, the colonies, um, we were still under British rule on the East Coast, and his son, and he talked to him, he said, yeah, you know, and Jonathan Edwards was very, very uh, particular, very well, you know, a uh, good bookkeeper, you might say. And he actually kept track. He said, you know, on this date, you were really on my heart to pray for. And I did. And his son looked at it and he said, Father, thank you, because on that day, and he explained to him the things he was going through. He said, God had delivered him out of some real serious temptations um, with a certain Spanish lady. And he got deleted. He, you know, he said, this, this is bad. Got to go. So... Um, he said, the Lord heard your prayers. So, I always remembered that. Sometimes when it sounds to your heart to pray for someone, it doesn't mean they're messing up, or they're, but it could mean the devil's got a target on them. And so sometimes our prayers are with tears. Well, so, if you notice when we did the baptism service, our offspring are referred to as our seed. Our offspring, that's a biblical term. And so those who sow in tears, you know, we, we send our little ones forth in the world. It can be pretty scary. You know, we're getting ready to confirm Rosie. You know, hope you don't mind me naming some names here, okay? Uh, Ed and Don, they brought Rosie in faith, presented her because of God's promises to them as parents that he would be their God and the God of their children after them. That's been good, okay? God's been with you, Rosie. Kept you from doing a lot of stupid stuff, okay? Uh, most of the time, right? <laughs> and uh, God bless you. God keeps his word. So Ed and Don... I remember 14 years ago when you brought Rosie for baptism, you did so because Jesus had said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. And here you had this cute little bundle of joy in front of you. And sometimes, you know, there's there's sadness. Sometimes you got to discipline them, etc. But you trusted God. And then God worked in your daughter's heart. And you did, you know, sometimes you have to sow with tears, but then you reap in joy. And we're beginning to see that today with her confirmation. He who continually goes forth, weeping, even in the midst of sadness. Now, this is a song about praise, but here we see that there's sadness sometimes involved. He who continually goes forth, that is, he's obedient. Think of the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we think of all the missionaries that have gone into foreign countries, and the the native uh, indigenous pastors and church leaders, sometimes they get killed doing what God told them to do. Think of Jim Elliott when he went down into the Indians in South America. He died doing it. They were um, cannibals, people that killed him and the men that were with him. And they, they killed the, the Aka Indians. And they were a pretty, pretty rough crowd. And then Mrs. Elliott shows up a couple of years later and tells them, I'm here because my husband wanted you to know about God. She stayed, learned the language, taught them the gospel. Others were with her also. And some of those same men that had killed her husband years before had become Christians and then became elders in the church there. 
because somebody didn't give up because they said, yeah, you weep, you soak sometimes in tears, but those men came to faith in Christ. And most of those fellows now have passed on there with the Lord, with Jim Elliot. You know, and so we see this is the, the history of the church. So many times when martyrs have died, uh, it's saying like when William Tyndale was burnt at the stake, well, actually was strangled first, that he tied him to a stake, and then they burned his body after they killed him. His last prayer was, God, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. He was praying for King Henry. Shortly after that is when the Bible began to be circulated with royal sanction throughout England. God heard his prayers. And we look at it like, oh, so sad that his life ended. What a waste. Now, God heard his prayers, and his prayers continued his work. And William Tyndale's Bible, by the way, the Bible you have in front of you, if you have a King James or New King James, it's about 80 to 85% William Tyndale's work. So God blessed him. But it cost him his life to get the word of God into our hands and many others also. He who continually goes forth in obedience to God, weeping, bearing seed for some, in the old King James, says, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That precious seed, the seed for sowing, that's where'd that come from? Well, they had to buy it at a high cost. Think of your salvation. It costs a lot for you to be saved. The Son of God had to come and die for you. Jesus underwent the hell that we deserve so that we could be saved. Precious seed. Jesus said that uh, the, the, the word of God is the seed that must be sown. And sometimes that's sown in with weeping. But God's word is that if you sow the seed, that is you get the word out there, both in your own life, in your family, in your community, in your church, and throughout the world, even though it often comes and is accompanied with sadness, there'll be a time for harvest, rejoicing bringing in the sheaves. You know, remember the hymn? I don't know if it's in our, our a hymnal or not, but, it, you know, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And this is God's promise. And so, quickly, just to review, we have to learn from history, especially by studying and remembering God's acts of redemption in time past, both personally and corporately, that is, relating to the body of Christ, the church. Uh, we've got to remember what God has done. We might have some rough times, we're not the first generation to have rough times. You know, you may be having rough times. You're not the first person to go through rough times. David in the 23rd Psalm, I'm quoted a lot, but it's okay because it really speaks to us. Yea, though I walk where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. Through it, not stuck there. We have difficulties, but we're passing through and eventually have that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a feast, even though the, not, you know, the world of flesh and the devil doesn't like it. We need to remember God's act of del acts of deliverance in history, in Israel, because that's your history if you're a believer. We wouldn't be here if God hadn't brought Israel out of Egypt. And you think of all the, the return from the captivity, all the times God has delivered his people throughout history, in the early church, etc., we need to remember those acts, and it should affect us. Say, Lord, thank you. You're the one in control. You're the one guiding history. Don't forget that, secondly, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The devil wants to steal it from you. You know, if you're sitting in your house and you see somebody, you look out your door and you see somebody out in your front porch trying to steal stuff, you're generally not going to just sit there and do nothing. You're going to go out and make them leave or deal with them, call the authorities, whatever you have to do. <coughs> If you know the devil is trying to steal your joy, do something about it. First thing, call the authorities. Wait a minute, you're going to call the cops to say, 
Yeah, hit 911. I'm not happy today. They're going <laughs> to. You may get a visit, okay, but it won't be what you're thinking. You call on the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears your prayers and say, Lord Jesus, I just feel like the enemy's stealing my joy. Please help me. Restore that joy to me. Joy in you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't give it up. Your enemy wants you weak. Don't let that happen. Go to Jesus. And thirdly, we, we can and ought to pray for a fuller deliverance. If you notice, after they thank God for their delivering them from captivity, in verse 4 it says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, he already brought it back. Why are you? They're praying for a further deliverance. It's okay to be like Jacob when he wrestled with the angel and say, Lord, I'm not letting go of you unless you bless me. Yes, you have blessed me. I need more. Jacob, remember, he wanted that birthright blessing. Esau was willing to sell it. Don't be like Esau. You know, it's okay to say, well, you know, that person seems to be kind of greedy for spiritual things. Yeah, he loves Jesus or she loves Jesus and, and doesn't seem like she can get enough. She's happy in Jesus but wants to know him more. And that's the way we ought to be. And then we ought to pray for a fuller deliverance for ourselves and for others. You may go, well, I'm perfectly happy. Well, not everyone else is. And so you've got brothers and sisters that are struggling right now. If you know who they are, you can pray for them by name. <laughs> if you don't know who they are, you can at least recognize there's probably some brothers and sisters that need some prayers. If you remember in the Lord's Prayer, it wasn't, you know, my Father who is in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. It's our Father who art in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's corporate prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, etc., etc. And do not lead us into temptation. That's personal, but you're praying a corporate prayer there. Jesus wants you to learn that your prayer should be prayed for you and for the rest of God's people, for the church. Fourthly, um, we should always labor with a view to God's promises to us in Christ of a full and complete salvation with joy in our hearts and God's praises upon our lips. God's blessed you in the past. If you stop and think about it, you can find those blessings. Thank Him for that. Recognize He plans on blessing you more. That's the nature of God. He's a gracious God. He loves you. Fifthly, we should be optimistic toward the future. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not being giddy or silly or you know, not dealing with reality or you know carnal happiness or something like that. That's the way it should be. We have a future. You know, I've said a lot of people, I've said this before, a lot of people are controlled by their past. You have done things in the past I shouldn't have done. I'm really ashamed. And that's kind of controlling a lot in my life, okay? Christians are people who are forgiven and who we are controlled by our future because we have God's promises. You're heading for glory. Then you're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity with all of his people. And the Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear heard Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says we begin to discern those things by the Spirit now. We have some knowledge of them. You know, we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. God has blessing. You know, we look at all the beauty in this world. I guarantee you, the new heavens and the new earth, they're not marred by sin. There's no death there. There's only righteousness. That's our home. That's our future home. It's going to be glorious. You're not going to be bored. I, I you know, know from God's Word. I, I will say this based upon what I know of Scripture. Heaven is going to be glorious. And by that I mean the new heavens and the new earth. As Peter says, wherein dwells righteousness. It's going to be awesome. Let that control your thinking. You have a future. Our God is absolutely sovereign and able to do what He's promised to do. 
He's promised us eternal salvation and fellowship with him through Jesus Christ in love and blessed happiness with all his beloved saints. And then number six, a joyful courage is what moves us forward in the darkest of times. You know, cowardice is associated with fear. And the Bible actually says, we, you know, that the, the fearful don't enter into the holy city. There's the fear of the Lord, which is good. But then there's the fear of man, the Bible says, which is a snare. We need to get that out of our lives and recognize the joy of the Lord is your strength because that's what gives you courage. And then finally, we need to patiently learn to sow the good seed of God's word according to his promises in our own lives and in our families. The seed is the word of God. So uh, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now and bless us. Seal your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And we ask this with the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ's name.